Welcome to the LBM Journal Sales Podcast, hosted by Rick Davis, the premier sales trainer and consultant in the construction supply industry. In each episode, Rick and guests explore what it takes to genuinely succeed, not just in sales and business, but in life. I'm here with Jim Smucker, uh, the LBM dealer of the year in one of our categories, and uh, he's the president of the company, the first non um, uh, family member to to run the company. Tell us a little bit about your background. How did you, you, you just the normal path as you call it? How'd you, how'd you end up where you ended up today? Yeah, well, I, I didn't take the traditional route for sure. So I was in hospitality for 27 years uh, with my brother, family business that my dad started in 1968. And so did that for 27 years and always uh, in the back of my mind, I uh, thought higher education would be a nice uh, place to retire. I uh, had done some teaching over the years, enjoyed that. And so uh, when I was in my early 50s, I, I went to a university as an academic dean and then later on as a vice president of enrollment and student life and did that for seven years and really enjoyed that, uh, but got to a point in time where it was time for a change, send out some resumes, one of which was to a mutual friend of the Kime family. And... Uh, you know, about a month after I sent that resume, I got a call back saying uh, from this mutual friend, he didn't tell me who or what it was, but he said, I might have something you're interested in. Mm-hmm. And and then about a month later, he told me the situation and um, what really he, he shared with me the vision statement here, which is to lead and inspire others to fulfill their dreams and goals. And that my heart skipped a beat when when I got that vision statement, uh, because that's really what I want to be about. And uh, so uh, four or five months later, Trent uh, took over the, uh, the job here as, as president. So wow, pretty non-traditional. Didn't know a lot about lumber and building materials, honestly, and hardware. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not what they were looking for uh, specifically. It would have been great if I would have had you know, 20 years of experience in it. But at the point at which this company is, it's a family business. I've been in the family business uh, we in 70, 75% of our employees, we have 560 employees, they're old order Amish folks. I had worked with them many years before. So there, I had some unique things in my resume that that uh, made this a good fit. And uh, it's just been a really fun couple of years. It's it's really a great place. That's awesome. Can you, can you, what's that vision statement again? What is that? Leading and it's leading and inspiring others to fulfill their dreams and goals. And that applies to both our coworkers and to our vendors and to our customers. Wow. Isn't that what success really is, helping other people succeed? It, it really is. And, you know, I, I believe that the profit is a byproduct of doing good work and that uh, we make profit so that we can keep having the fun that we're having. Uh, certainly, you know, profit is a measure, is a, and I'm, you know, I'm particular about numbers. Numbers are, are important and meaningful. Uh, but I think sometimes I've seen folks over the years that focus on the bottom line. And along the way, they're going to cut things short. Uh, they're going to cut corners. They're not going to think as strategically as long term. They're going to think more in the short run. And so finding a balance where you know profit is a yardstick for sure, but so is customer satisfaction. So is employee satisfaction. So Finding a balanced approach to those things is what I think is important. And um, so it's an amazing place before I came here, and I can't take a lot of credit for it now, and certainly not that award. You know, that award for Deal of the Year, that's done over a period of 
of decades yeah. that the Kime family uh, built this business and uh, really has a, a pretty amazing record of, of customer satisfaction. Awesome. You've heard that one about the three bricklayers are all laying bricks. You heard the story? Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. One, one's, go ahead. One's well, no, doing, go ahead. Yeah. One's doing it for the job. Yeah. One's doing, you know, one's doing it because he's got a career. And the I walk up to the third one. And he said, what are you doing here? Is What do you mean? He goes, well, you're laying bricks. What are you doing? Goes, what am I doing? I'm, I'm, I'm building the wall where in just a few short weeks, they're going to erect a steeple just to the left of us, way high above towards the sky, and people are going to come worship and pray. Yeah. And and that person has a calling. And it sounds like that's what you offer. I, I think for many of our employees here, yes. I, do I they feel that? Do you think they feel that, though? Do you think people really feel like they're engaged and they're really per- finding their real purpose in life there? I, I think many of our my coworkers are, and uh, that's something we think a lot about, talk a lot about. Uh, mm-hmm. I started something calling Kime University here soon after it came, uh, really focusing hard on developing our people and mm-hmm. giving them skill sets to keep improving. And uh, I, I, I believe my personal definition of leadership is developing people while working on a mission in the context of fun. I, I put developing people first. Love it. Uh, if you do that well, you're developing people. They're enthused about their work and what they're doing, I really think the rest takes care of itself, largely. Uh, You mentioned something about measurement. Do do you measure customer satisfaction and things like that, employee satisfaction, all that? Do you you measure that? We are starting, you know, one of the reasons they hired me was to bring some of those disciplines here. And uh, honestly, we haven't done a lot of that in the past, but we now are measuring customer satisfaction. We're going to keep refining that. Uh, I want to also... My work previously in our family business, every year we did a, an employee survey of us as owners and as managers and the company. And we'll get to that eventually here too, hopefully within the next year. And you know what's, what's really fun about both of those things is you can track the results over time. You know, in my previous life, you know, we had a 20, 25-year history of both employee and customer satisfaction. And that starts to give you a real sense of how are things going in different pockets of the company. And so uh, we're we're about to introduce performance appraisals here, and it's it's two ways. It's it's the employee, but it's also asking them to rank the company in a in a performance appraisal. And you know, I don't know too many places that do that specific thing in performance appraisals. Uh, but to me, it's it's fair game, and we want to know, you know, we want to be having this conversation with the employee about their performance, but we also want them to be telling us about our performance mm-hmm. as leadership in the company. Yeah. You, well, tell us, tell me about your academic background. What what was that? What were you teaching? What, were, what was your focus? Well, my doctorate, my PhD is in management, um, focusing specifically on leadership and change. Uh, so I I uh, I've taught MBA classes over the years in organizational behavior, leadership, that type of thing. Um, I, I served as an academic dean at the university for a number of years, uh, just developing academic programs. So that's, that's that background. I, I always, by the way, I love what you said. Leadership is helping other people succeed while uh, get accomplishing their goals with a vision and, and having fun at it. Did I get that right? Something like that. Yeah. Close, Close enough. enough. Love it. Yeah, Thank yeah. you. Um, I want you to comment on this because I talk all the time these days, because one of the things that I've been trying to work on, I felt like I was a good leader and I managed people pretty well, but now as I, uh, 
mature in my life and career, I've, I've learned to become an administrator as well, which is a leader of leaders and helping them empower them to do uh, their jobs better. Can you comment on that? Do you see valid validity in that thought? As a leader becoming more of an empower? Uh, yeah, like, 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 I'll give you an example of that. Um, I think that great leadership for somebody like you, you're, you're leading a big team. You got 500, 550 employees? 560, yeah. 560. You've got department heads. And I think one of the things that I, I don't know, if I'm just asking, you might say, nah, somewhat, that's not my thing. But I, when I like, now when I have people working like on my website or I'm working with a CRM partner, or I've got at least managing my online platform. Um, like we had a dialogue one day about budget. I told her that she should hire somebody to videotape our things. And she said, I think we could do it internally. I said, do it any way you want. I'm going to give you the choice, but here, here's, here are the considerations. If you do it internally, you're going to save a lot of money, but you got to answer to me. You got to do the time. You got to do the editing. I want all the things, or you can pay these guys this much money and I'm willing to give you the budget for that, but you decide. And she said, well, gosh, when you put it that way, I'm going to use the budget. I go, you don't have to. She goes, no, it makes sense. I go, that's your choice. I think yeah, that's yeah. what leader, go ahead, comment on that. Like, uh, we, we can't, we can't run every department ourselves. We've got to empower people and teach them to be better leaders. Does that make sense? That's right. There's a system term called equifinality, which means many paths to the same end. Wait, equifinality? Equifinality. Okay. to the same ends or there's more than one way to skin a cat. So I think our job as leaders is to hold people accountable for results, be clear about that, but then give them the opportunity to figure out how to do that and don't manage the micro. And I think you can do that in a culture where, where you have a strong culture and your values are clear. Uh, and I came to climb, it was, that was already well established. And so we, we know what our values are. Within those values, here are the targets. Now go figure that out. Yeah. You know, you figure it out. Yeah. In, in, a, in, in our companies today, you know, too often as managers, as leaders, we, we think we're smarter than what we are. And today, especially in a COVID world, Strategic planning, I think, should be more about developing organizational capacity to make changes in real time, mm -hmm. not about, you know, being very definitive about, well, these are the exact strategies and these are the exact tactics we're going to use to get there. Because who predicted a COVID world a month ahead of time? Yeah. Nobody. So developing organizational capacity in our people so that they can be out there making changes in real time based on information that we provide to them and the targets that we provide. People are a lot smarter than we often give them credit for, for sure. And I just don't believe a lot in micromanagement. So, you know, how do we continue to empower others? And, and I think, I, you know, as I'm saying, it's, it's developing the benchmarks together with them and then providing the feedback to them on a regular basis. You know, when I came here, honestly, the, there wasn't a lot of information that people had. People just worked hard and did a really good job and didn't really know too much. Well, we have, we have a profit sharing plan where we share 20% of pre-tax profits. And the first thing we did is train everybody, all 560 employees, in uh, how to read a profit and loss statement and a balance sheet. Uh, and all new employees go through the same uh, training so that everybody understands a profit share or a balance sheet and a profit and loss statement. And we are one of our main strategies is, is 
gathering information and getting it out as much in real time as we can, like every day, how are we doing? How are departments doing? We got a long ways to go in that. There's a lot of other companies that do a lot better than us now, but we're going to get there in the next year or two. Uh, I have to be patient on that. Um, you know, I, I'm just not used to operating in a world where people don't have that kind of information. But, you know, as we start to share that information, it is people feel empowered with that. Uh, and, and that's the idea. So I don't care how you do the job necessarily, as long as you do it within our values and we're working on the same targets together. That's what's important. Then our Khan University is there to provide the training and development for people to give them tools to be able to reach those targets. And then ultimately the profit sharing, you know, is, is the profit is shared uh, as the reward for that. I, I think it's an exception to the rule in our industry to be that generous with employees. My family is incredibly generous. It's amazing. Um, and for years, they've been sharing some, you know, profits that they weren't, they didn't have a set amount. And so we together honed in on that 20% amount. And, um, and, you know, fortunately, fortunately for me, we introduced it last year and, you know, our industry right now is is doing very well. And so employees, when you introduce changes that have to do with profit sharing, that makes people really nervous, made me nervous. Like what if profits would go down? Because, you know, last year this time, I'm thinking profits are going in the tank. And as it turned out, uh, it turned out very well for our employees. And so uh, sometimes you just get lucky when you introduce change. What is turnover like at uh, Kang? Uh, 2019, it was 8%. Last year, it was 9%. Pretty good. It's very good. That's uh, very good. And so we're, we're hoping to uh, keep it you know, below that 10% level. DMSI provides a complete line of business software and mobile apps for LBM dealers. Their agility ERP system manages every stage of order fulfillment from online sales and accounting to inventory control and delivery. DMSI's Building Results CRM is designed specifically for the construction products industry. It helps sales teams grow their pipelines and achieve predictable future results. DMSI is an independent, family-owned company known for strong customer partnerships and unparalleled service. Visit DMSI.com to learn more. So describe Charm, Ohio. I've never been there. I, you, I, Ohio was my territory when I had my first sales job. I lived in Cincinnati, okay. and I, I got up to Cleveland, and I was through Akron, and I, I'm sure I've driven there, but Charm's kind of in the middle of it all. And Tell us what you service and what it's like there. Charm is in the middle of nowhere. and Right. We have this, we have this you have 125,000 square feet Yeah. in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. So it's got to be a destination. you got to be good, it, right? It, it, it's a destination, and everybody said Bill was crazy. Bill Kime, who was third generation, Robbie's father. I, I replaced Robbie as president. His dad was an incredible visionary person, and in 2007 built this store. And like, uh, it defies so much conventional wisdom, you know. Uh, and he, he created an overnight destination. And part of the idea was let's build it so big and unique that it instantly becomes a destination. And that's exactly what happened. And of course, you know, if you remember, right, 2007 was right before the, the Great Recession. 
so, you know, for, for uh, Bill and his, his wife, Eva, who, who helped run the company as well, and for the Kime family, it was some very nervous times. Uh, but it's paid off. The, the other thing he did that, uh, so Charm is in the middle of nowhere. I mean, the first time I came here, I was blown away. It's a town of maybe 200 people. Uh, and the other thing he did was back in the early 1990s, is he said, I'm going to do free delivery within 150 miles. Hmm. Well, 150 miles of Charm is downtown Columbus, downtown Cleveland, and the western suburbs of Pittsburgh and you know northern West Virginia. Again, people said he was crazy. I really think it was ingenious because instantly those anybody within those any contractors, you know, cabinet makers, those folks that we are customers within that range uh, became potential customers. Uh, and so the sheer volume of all that is, is what really helped him. So he, he did a couple of things very unconventional. Uh, you know, Bill didn't have a college degree. If he had, he probably wouldn't have done those things. <laughs> You know, right. uh, many people would say, well, that makes no sense. And he just had great instincts and and took really good care of the employees here, which took care of the customers. You know, in the end, uh, it's not always as hard as we make it seem. In case anyone didn't read the LBM Journal story, I think it's worth talking about and even elaborating on. I just love uh, you guys have all these different audiences. You've got. Uh, Amish cabinet makers, you've got do-it-yourselfers, you've got the professional builders, a really vast array of products, in my opinion. You know, you don't typically expect electrical and lumber and all the other stuff. How do you how do you manage all that? What's the secret to doing all that? And two of the questions. So how do you manage all that? And then what does that do for the sustain the uh sustainability, I guess, of your sales flow and all that and cash flow? Yeah, well. How we manage it, I mean, how Bill managed it, he's just hired, he hired, you know, he started a department, he hired someone really good to run that department. Mm-hmm. Uh, over time, in some ways, silos kind of developed here, which wasn't a good thing. Our executive uh, uh, director of sales, Abe Troyer, uh, five or six years ago, really worked to break down those silos and create more of a one-team atmosphere, and that was really helpful. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you ask how, I mean, that, that's just, Bill would just go out and hire, you know, really smart people and say, hey, run, run this department for me. Uh, I guess I think- that, that was it for me, though, because um, you've never heard any male lectures or anything, but it, it sounds like what you guys have done is a pretty, tell us a little about your sales structure and how you get that communication. I guess that's the question I'm looking for. How, how do you manage that from a sales process standpoint? Well, so Abe oversees, you know, we have millwork sales, we have contractor sales, we have what we call wood shop sales, which Holmes County, for those who don't know, is uh, is really strong in cabinet making and furniture making. And so back in 2006, kind of that business was started working with those folks. And so and then you have our retail sales and. Abe has really done a nice job of kind of breaking down the silos uh, of all of that and uh, kind of integrating that. And so as a contractor can come on the floor and buy things as well as, you know, talk to their salesperson, um, but it, it's pretty seamless uh, across that. Now there's some pros and cons to that, obviously, but that's that's kind of how it works here. Yeah, great. So. You, uh, you told me that when you got there that, um, you know, you just couldn't believe it, what, the uniqueness of that. Um, 
I read something, I think it was in the article. I think I read in the article that um, you, you create an overabundance of product supply. It's like not just in time. You're not looking at turnover. You're just making sure that you got it on hand. Can you speak to that a little bit? Because that, that's counterintuitive too. And no MBA guy is going to do that. No, no. private equity company is going to allow that. Uh, no big, you're right. They're not no, going to allow that. Right. And how does that, how does that, how do you turn that into your strength? So, so that really was a big part of the, the growth of this company. So Bill said, you've got to have lots of things and you've got to have lots of it in stock. So people knew if they came to Kime and if they drive a couple hours, we would have it in stock. So part of my charge was when I came uh, was to reduce inventory. And frankly, we do need to reduce some inventory. Uh, at the same time, when COVID hit, we were better positioned and we have more connections in the industry. We have, we have pretty good um, supply chains. And so what was viewed as maybe a weakness of ours, uh, COVID turned into a strength in that regard. Now, again, I'll say we do have work to do in the inventory side, um, both structurally and how we organize that and just the raw number of dollars of inventory that we have. But, we kind of got lucky with that one. Um, yeah. So, but it's not a just in time thing. And right. it's interesting. I, I was at, there's a, maybe, you know, that uh, supermarket in Cincinnati. Uh, oh, what's uh, jungle. I know, Kro I know Kroger's is based there, but J jungle gyms. Oh, I don't know that one. No. It's a big independent supermarket. And I okay. visited him a couple months ago. And he said, when, when the pandemic hit, the Kroger across the street didn't have a lot of items because they're just in time and he had a big warehouse full of toilet paper and all kinds of other stuff. And he had stuff. So it's a similar kind of principle here. And we kind of fell into that, but over time we, we need, we have some work to do now. It's not conventional wisdom and yet it, it works. There's a reason for it all. Yeah. How did, how did you get, speaking of not conventional wisdom, I, I have to get this on record to make sure he understands this. How did tell us what an ultra marathon is and how did you get into this? Well, an ultra marathon is any mileage over a marathon. Um, and when I was 46, I said it's time to run a marathon, and I did. And then when I turned 50, I said I'm going to run my age, and I ran the Vermont 50. And I said, now this is a lot more fun than running on roads. And so then that's that's what started it. So, wow. And what's the longest distance you've run? Well, in a race, 100 miles, uh, last September, I ran across Ohio, which is 262 miles on, on a trail. Oh, my god! Over, over a week. Um, so. Good Lord. But uh, that's not as bad as it sounds. Uh, yeah, well, I'm, I'm sure to a lot of people. And you know me, I'm, I'm, a, I'm an endurance athlete. I'm, I'm impressed. That's, that's pretty special stuff. I got one last thing is the people are the difference, right? Yeah, what they really are. And and it feels a little trite to say that. It and does, but I mean, but, the, the, a lot but of every, everybody, everybody says that's my point. Everybody says that, right? Yeah. And a lot of people have great people. Right. They all do. But, but, but I'll say that the, the team here, uh, there's a work ethic and there's a sincere, there's some sincerity to serve. And, you know, our salespeople are not on um, uh, sales uh, bonus plans. So they're all paid hourly. 
and then they get profit sharing. So they're not trying to sell something to somebody or they're not trying to get someone off the phone because you know they, they want to turn another sale. And we just say, take the time you need with the customer that's in front of you or on the phone and, and take care of them. And it's, I really like that model. They've had that model here for years. I didn't create that model, but I really like that model. And, you know, we have a manufacturing, we have a mill, we don't pay piece rate. We pay an hourly wage and then there's profit sharing because we want our folks to be engaged around, you know, lean manufacturing. We have team meetings, those kinds of things. Well, if you're on piece rate, you want to get out. You know, you've done your job. You want to go home for the day. You don't necessarily want to sit around in a huddle and talk about how can we improve our processes. So it's, again, a little unconventional because we have other manufacturing in the area that pays piece rate. And sometimes, you know, that looks really attractive to our employees. But our job or our our, uh, where we want to be is above average in terms of hourly pay. And then on top of that, we have profit sharing. And we think that's a long-term plan uh, for keeping a, a really good workforce like we have. Give, give me a leadership tip. Um, it just occurs to me. You're not an outsider, but, you know, you are. I mean, you're the first non-family member to be the president of the company. Uh, you know, you came in like you didn't work your way up the ranks or anything like that. What advice would you give a leader? to become successful when entering a role under those auspices? Yeah, Uh, very simply, listen deeply. Listen in generative ways. So two months, three months, maybe two, three months after I was here, I asked five questions of everybody. What's going well? What's not going well? What are the challenges? What are our opportunities? And what what does time need for me? You know, 350 some people responded back then. We had 490 employees, so well over half. 112 pages of responses. You know, I read them multiple times. Out of that developed an annual or developed our operating priorities for last year and was the foundation for our strategic plan. I can't say enough about, you know, if you ask me what I've learned the last 10 years in my life in terms of leadership, it is, it is listen at a much deeper level and be much more humble about your skill set. Hmm. Thank you. That's awesome stuff. Appreciate you taking the time, Jim. Yeah. Yeah. Glad to do it. It's fun talking with you. I sure hope you're enjoying the content that we deliver in these LBM Journal podcasts. If you're liking them, then you'll like more information you can get at my online learning platform, Building Leaders 24-7, the sales learning platform exclusively designed for the construction products industry. There, you will find content for every member of your organization, how to build a better customer experience, how to communicate better with your internal customers and teammates. You'll see courses on selling effectively to builders and architects and the various audiences of our industry. Ultimately, it is a website and a platform that helps you increase the profitability for your company. And if you are an executive or a manager for that company, you will have the ability to assign courses and track progress of your members. So for more information on the state of the art sales learning platform for our industry today, visit buildingleaders.com or just email me, Rick Davis at buildingleaders.com. We're here to help and drive you to fearless sales leadership.